This is VLX number 93, Walking on Water. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina. Today is Matthew chapter 14, verses 27 to 33. God give you his peace, and omni patris et spiritus sancti. Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In omni patris et spiritus sancti. Amen. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so before we get to walking on water, which I'm really excited to talk about today, before we get to walking on water, I want to go over briefly the last section of the boat getting hit so hard on that Sea of Galilee. Back to the beginning of chapter 14 for just a minute. Remember, after the death of John the Baptist, Jesus goes from the western shore in a boat across the southern border of the Sea of Galilee to retreat. But then he's met by 5,000 people who walked all the way around that southern tip that afternoon. So that very afternoon, that evening, one of the two, he heals all their sick, and then he feeds them with just five loaves and two fish. 5,000 people fed miraculously by Christ. Then, if you remember, he dismisses the apostles in a boat, also headed back west, and then the people go on home, on foot, also back to Israel. So this time, Jesus, though, it's Jesus who now walks home back west, uh, probably dark by now. He seems to keep an eye on them, maybe by moonlight, uh, is my guess, at least in his humanity, because obviously he can see them at night in his divinity. And remember, St. Matthew wrote what we heard in the last VLX. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And then remember, we learned the word for beaten there was tortured. So this was really the storm of their lives. And then we read this, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So remember, we learned last time, this is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., but they're exhausted because St. John Chrysostom says that they had been fighting the storm all night. Forgot to mention last time that Father Lapide said that in nine hours on that boat, they had only rowed three miles. Think about that. Nine hours rowing in a storm in a headwind, and they only made three miles of gain. So they were clearly exhausted and giving up when St. Matthew wrote this next line. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. If you remember, last time we learned that that word in Greek and Latin for ghost, there is phantasma. Phantasma is both Greek and Latin. And, you know, this time I looked up phantasm in English. It's very close to the Greek and the Latin definition, defined in English as something apparently seen, heard, or sensed, but having no physical reality, or a ghost or apparition, or an image that appears only in the mind, an illusion. Okay, so what does Jesus do next? Well, that brings us right up to the very verses today that I'm excited to look at. 
And we read today, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Tharsite, there is a single Greek word there for take courage or take heart. Just one word, tharsite. Verse 27 is astonishing because actually Jesus didn't say, it is I, like I just read you, but literally, I am. If you want to write that in the Greek above your English or Spanish or whatever you're writing that, it's ego emi, E-G-O space E-I-M-I. Ego emi. I am. So Jesus just called himself Yahweh, Almighty God, or I am who I am, just exactly as Yahweh revealed himself to Moses. I am who is. You know, unlike pagan gods who have these wacky names, this is the being one, as the Greek icons say. Only the one true God hovers over the face of the waters, as we saw in the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Jesus is no ghost. He is Yahweh, sovereign and deathless, with no beginning, no end, hovering over the face of the waters, because he created those waters, the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee there. And then the next line, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Wait, now hold on for a second. Father Lapide in the last VLX said, And they cried out for fear. This confused clamor was elicited by fear, such as is wont to be with sailors when they fall into peril of shipwreck and despair of life. Now, I've never seen a shipwreck or been in a shipwreck, but the last moment of a shipwreck in all the movies I've seen has the same thing. Men yelling to each other and their voices being drowned out by the volume of all the wind and the waves. So if this storm was bad enough to elicit despair of life, as Father Lapidi said, with these professional fishermen, then we really need to picture St. Peter yelling that line at the top of his lungs to communicate with Jesus. I mean, really, if it was as bad as Father Lapide said again, this confused clamor was elicited by fear such as want to be with sailors when they fall into peril of shipwreck and despair of life. Then Peter must have yelled, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus simply says, come. Did Jesus have to yell? I doubt it because he is God. And what did the psalm say? The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Listen to that psalm again. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. And Jesus just says, come to Peter in that storm. Now, you probably guessed it by now, but I want you, if you're doing the imaginative way, picture yourself as Peter in this storm. On the other hand, don't leave us now if you're doing the study way, because we're going to actually do both of these at the same time, the apophatic and the cataphatic method. Now, how did Peter walk on water? Peter walking on water. Father Lapide says this was done in one of three ways. Either one, Christ, by his divine power, held Peter fast that he should not sink, as the angel held Habakkuk fast by the hair of his head and carried him to Babylon in Daniel 14.35. Or two, 
He did not allow Peter's body to be sufficiently heavy to weigh him down and sink him in the waves. Or three, or else he did not concur with the yielding action of the water, but rather made the waters to be firm and solid beneath Peter's feet like ice or crystal. I personally think it was number two right there, that he did not allow Peter's body to be sufficiently heavy to weigh him down and sink him in the waves. Okay, now let's look at that next line. But when he saw the wind, it's talking about Peter, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now remember, anytime you see something that doesn't make sense, don't just chalk it up to IBL. Remember what I told you IBL is? Imaginary Bible land. Well, what in there do you think I would personally say didn't make sense? What I don't think makes sense there is that Peter saw the wind. Can anyone see the wind? No, don't, don't just chalk that up to imaginary Bible land. You can't see the wind. So I suspect this has to mean the wind lifting the waves and throwing this boat around uh, with so much water and mist in each gust, gust of wind that he's, he's getting soaked by every gust of wind because what he's seeing is not air, but water getting hurled by the wind. So Peter sees perhaps the biggest storm he's ever seen presumably takes his eyes off of Jesus if he was looking at something else, as we just learned, and he starts to sink. Notice the word there, begins or starts. That's really there in the Greek and the English both. Starts to sink. And what does Peter do? He cries out, save me. Now we've all heard all of these moralizing commentaries on this. Well, if Peter just hadn't doubted, he'd keep walking on the water. We know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but how many of you can say in your darkest moment in life, you cried out, Lord, save me? I guess maybe this was Peter's second darkest moment in life because his darkest moment was when he denied Jesus right before Jesus' execution. But even then, we're going to see that his repentance brought him closer to Jesus than he'd ever been before. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas teaches about St. Peter. But really, let's just call the night maybe Peter's second darkest moment in life. But really, how many of you can say in your darkest moment in life, you cried out, Lord, save me? Yeah, so let's not be too hasty to judge Peter here. Anyway, here Peter is in this howling storm so bad that fishermen are giving up for life here, even in that boat. So let's see a few of the things that Father Lapide has to say, but I want you to notice that Jesus takes away the internal and the external fears, these tempests and the temptations. Father Lapita has this amazing line. He says, Christ took away their fear and filled them with serenity, security, and joy, that they might have confidence that Christ would deliver them from all danger. St. John Chrysostom says, Do you perceive with what ardor Peter was burning? Do you see how great his faith was even then? No one loved Jesus so much as he did. Not only did he manifest charity, but faith also. He believed not only that Christ was walking upon the sea, but he was able to give the same power to others. He dared to ask for this power in order that he might more quickly be with Jesus. Father Lapide also quotes St. Jerome, With the same zeal as ever, so now. While the others are silent, Peter believes that by the will of his master he will be able to do that which by nature he cannot do. Whence it follows, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee upon the waters, as much as to say, do thou command, and straightway it will become solid. And that body, which is in itself heavy, will become light. 
Father Lapide also adds, adds this. He says, if you insist that the words, if it be thou, are spoken in doubt, then it must be said that by the expression, bid me come to thee upon the waters, Peter asked that the command should not merely be given him, but that it should be given with power in such manner, indeed, that Christ should command him not only externally, but also internally, and that by this command he should infuse such boldness, confidence, and security that he should not doubt that he would walk safely upon the waves since Christ bade him. And then verse 30, But seeing the wind strong, he was afraid, and when he began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Father Lapide says, The strength of the wind caused Peter to fear. Fear caused doubt. Doubt gave rise to danger. Now, why was he afraid here and say, not at his crucifixion later? Peter, remember, Peter was crucified uh, much longer after the passion, death, and resurrection of his Savior, his Savior and my Savior. Well, Father Lapidus said that Peter had not as yet received the strength of faith and charity, which he afterward received from the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. So think about this for a minute. Peter spent three years with Jesus and denied him, but then he spends nine days with Mary and he's willing to go get crucified himself. Okay, now, hold on. I'm not saying uh, spending time with Mary is more powerful than spending time with Jesus, but I am saying she is the missing puzzle piece of grace because she is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Just let that percolate a little bit that it wasn't until nine days fasting with Mary that Peter had all the strength to go forward, even after spending three years with Jesus. I'm not saying Mary's better than Jesus. I'm not saying that. But she is clearly the missing puzzle piece of grace as the spouse of the Holy Ghost. So keep that in mind. Now, St. John Chrysostom says this, Peter did what was greater. He's actually talking about how in the world did Peter get out of the boat and then start to fail. Isn't that weird? The church fathers actually ask really obvious questions that maybe we're too afraid to ask because they're too obvious. But St. John Chrysostom says, why in the world would Peter have the strength to get out of the boat and then start to fail? Well, he says, Peter did what was greater for he magnanimously went down from the ship into the sea but from the violence of the winds and the waves, he was afraid and failed in that which was less. For it is natural to man sometimes to overcome in things that are more difficult and succumb in those that are less. Uh, there's this story, I think it's called the Pilgrim's Tale. And this guy goes on this huge pilgrimage, fasting on bread and water. And then at the end of it, commits a major sin of the sixth commandment. So quite an amazing story. He repents and he goes to confession and he comes back to grace and everything else like that. But it's quite a story of a guy who does all these ascetical feats of a huge pilgrimage on bread and water and then has a major fall into sin at the end of that. Um, obviously, Peter's fall isn't like that. I don't mean to be comparing Peter's fall to that, but just that uh, St. John Chrysostom says, for it is natural to man sometimes to overcome in things that are more difficult and succumb in those that are less. Now let's look at this line when he yells out, Lord, save me. Father Lapide says, From this it is clear what I said in verse 28, that Peter did not doubt that he who appeared was Christ, for otherwise he would not have called upon him in his great peril, but upon God who is in heaven, as shipwrecked sailors, sailors are wont to do. Now Christ had given him faith, saying, Come, and by this word, assuring him that he would not sink, Yet the force of the wind, shaking Peter on all sides, knocked this faith out of him and dispersed it. The wind, according to Father Labrador, knocked the faith out of him and dispersed it. 
So Peter starts to sink, and then St. Matthew writes, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Notice the word immediately is there in the Greek too, not just the English. Greek there is eutheos. Why did St. Matthew find it important to include that adverb immediately? Well, it's so beautiful, I don't even need to explain it to you all. You get it already if you're even praying a little bit in all this study. It's obvious that Jesus is willing to do the same for us, rescue us immediately. And so the Greek is clear that Jesus stretched out his arm fully, and he did this immediately at Peter's yell. We just take it for granted in the original language we read it in often. So Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of Peter. The verb for grabbing Peter there in Greek is epilobato. might want to write that above your own translation. E-P-E-L-A-B-E-T-O. Epilobato means to grab, to grasp, to hold fast to. St. Jerome translated those two, that Greek word epilobato into the Latin as apprehendit. And then him is eum, apprehended eum. He apprehended him. Such power and strength in Christ's arm in this. So Jesus saves Peter. He looks at him. And personally, I kind of picture this, this look of great love, even in this rebuke, as Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Even as rain and waves are crashing all around. Then when they get into the boat, the wind ceased. The wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Let's look at the Greek. Two different ways in Greek to say Son of God. In John chapter 1, Nathanael calls Jesus the Son of God. In the very beginning of John's gospel, they're pretty early for such a confession. And if you look in John chapter 1, I think it's verse 27, it's, Huios to Theo, Huios son, to of, Theo is God in the genitive, meaning of. But today's Greek is just two words, Theohuius. Now, God the Son, I think that would be Theos Hohuius. So there's something even more Trinitarian about the words today than what Nathaniel said. Huius Theo. Just as importantly, on this topic of who Jesus is, just as importantly, we hear they worship Jesus. The Greek word means they go prone, face down. So they must have their foreheads in this rain-soaked boat as they are worshiping Jesus standing in this boat. How, How would you like to do that? I would. I'd love to worship Jesus like that. And remember, Jesus accepts this worship as God. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 you can worship God, but I'm just the Son of God. No, no, no. He accepts that he is God. Remember, only Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons say, Son of God is different from God the Son. Let me say that again. Only Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses believe that The term Son of God is different from God the Son. But if you're any other Christian denomination, Catholic, Russian, Orthodox, Baptist, then you believe Jesus is God. Not just the Son of God, but God himself. The second person of the Trinity, the incarnate word. And that is why they rightly worship Jesus today. Now, does that mean the apostles fully understood the Trinity this early on in Matthew 14? Uh, Father Lapide gives two possibilities. One, quote, Cajetan and Jansen are of the opinion that the untutored crowd of sailors did not recognize the mystery of the Trinity, but instead called Jesus the Son of God not by nature, but by excellence of power and dignity. End quote. Or two, quote, certainly the apostles who were passengers in the boat and who had already lived a long time with Christ knew that he was by nature the only begotten Son of God from so many of his words and miracles. End quote. 
kind of more towards the first since they kind of thought Jesus was a ghost, but I think Father Lapide is towards the second. Okay, well, we know the truth in retrospect about the Trinity. This is God himself hovering over the waters, the very person who created the Sea of Galilee. Remember Genesis 1, the very first line in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And don't forget, Jesus has a question for Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Greek is ace t edistasis. And Father Lapide defines that Greek as why did you have second thoughts, remain, and hesitate between two things? He says that verb edistasis is to have your mind divided in two. Isn't that interesting? Father Lapide adds, for two things were here presented to Peter. That is to say, the strength of the wind making him afraid of being drowned and the voice of Christ instilling confidence and security. The strength of the wind was more obvious and therefore more powerful than the voice of Christ, for it drew Peter's mind to itself, so that intent on that alone and not thinking of Christ's promise, he wavered and feared drowning when he ought rather to have listened with his full attention to Christ's voice reassuring him, and thus have resisted temptation and the fear which the strength of the wind caused. Father Lapide also adds, Almost every temptation arises from distrust of God because a man either trusts to himself or to human aid and does not trust God or have recourse immediately to God by prayer. St. John Chrysostom said, Like as a young bird which, before it is able to fly, falls out of its nest upon the ground whose mother quickly restores it to the nest, so also at this time did Christ deal with Peter. So notice that level of mercy. Yeah, Peter fell, but Jesus was so merciful with him. He was not harsh at all. Okay, now I want to look at that word faith in Greek. Faith in Greek is pistis. St. Clement of Alexandria says the etymology of pistis is peritonstasis, literally regarding standing or regarding stability. St. Clement of Alexandria writes this word pistis is about that which is stable and quiet because it steadies our mind when it is tossed and turned by doubts. Okay, I just felt you all get real bored out there. Don't get bored. This is important here. Faith is based on those two words, stable and quiet. See how that leads into what happened when Jesus got in the boat? We read today, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So faith, the very word in Greek, faith, pistis, is based in the two words, stable and quiet. That doesn't mean, you know, a life of static boringness. No, it's talking about being well-grounded. And like the um, good old school Jesuit, Father Lapide, and I mean that as a compliment, Father Lapide gives us this line, Learn from this passage the difference between a good and evil spirit, that the good spirit may terrify at first, but soon gives consolation and joy, as Christ did at this instance. But a bad spirit gives sensual joy in the beginning, but soon causes sorrow, anguish, and despair. Isn't that a great quote? Isn't that how sin always works out? Seems like a good promise at first, but Satan never fulfills on his promises where, you know, think about hard Catholic truths. The ones that we have to swallow that hurt are often the truths that save our souls. And the preachers who tell us things that make us happy at first often lead us to hell, literally hell. Now, but once you're in sanctifying grace habitually, you can start looking for the peace, not the scary side. So I don't want to throw you off with the scary stuff because... St. Ignatius himself has these rules of discernment, and I know we've gone through these, but because this is an Ignatian study as well as a patristic Bible study, because this is Ignatian meditation, I do want to read just a couple paragraphs to you from St. Ignatius's own rules of discernment. 
Now, this is for people who are in sanctifying grace or generally staying in sanctifying grace, and if they fall, they get back up. In the case of those who go on earnestly striving to cleanse their souls from sin and who seek to rise in the service of God our Lord to greater perfection, the method pursued is the opposite of that mentioned in the first rule. Then it is characteristic of the evil spirit. This is talking about what Satan does to people who are living in sanctifying grace. It is characteristic of the evil spirit to harass with anxiety, to afflict with sadness, to raise obstacles backed by fallacious reasonings that disturb the soul. Notice that. If you're trying to live a sacramental life, if you're trying to follow Christ, then what comes upon your soul with anxiety usually isn't of God. Isn't that amazing? It says it's the opposite for those who are in mortal sin. But those who are generally in sanctifying grace, how does Satan work? With anxiety and sadness. Now, of course, God might leave the good saint, someone in sanctifying grace, in desolation at times. Desolation is when you just can't get any joy in prayer. And St. Ignatius has some great advice for this. He says, When one is in desolation, he should be mindful that God has left him to his natural powers to resist the different agitations and temptations of the enemy in order to try him. He can resist with the help of God, which always remains, though he may not clearly perceive it. For though God has taken from him the abundance of fervor and overflowing love and the intensity of his favors, nevertheless he has sufficient grace for salvation. The principal reasons why we suffer from desolation are three. One, because we have been tepid and slothful or negligent in our exercises of piety, and so through our own fault, spiritual consolation has been taken away from us. Or two, the second reason is because God wishes to try us, to see how much we are worth and how much we will advance in his service and praise when left without the generous reward of consolations and signal favors. The third reason is because God wishes to give us a true knowledge and understanding of ourselves so that we may have an intimate perception of the fact that it is not within our power to acquire and attain great devotion, intense love, tears, or any other spiritual consolation, but that all this is the gift and grace of God our Lord. Now how about if you are doing this VLX thing and in your meditation you feel a lot of joy and consolation and clarity? Well, St. Ignatius wants you to feel humble at times like that. He says, He who enjoys consolation should take care to humble himself and lower himself as much as possible. Let him recall how little he is able to do in a time of desolation when he's left without such grace or consolation. But the main thing to remember today is what Jesus did to Peter's heart, what Jesus did to the apostles' heart when he got in that boat. Father Lapide wrote, Christ took away their fear and filled them with serenity security and joy that they might have confidence that Christ would deliver them from all danger. Do you see why you need this silent time in meditation? Father Lapide, he kind of wrote a little bit like Yoda there in those two sentences beginning today. Fear caused doubt. Doubt gave rise to danger. So profound right there. Think about that. Fear caused doubt. Doubt gave rise to danger. You see, having faith and hope and charity in your heart are necessary to go to heaven. These are called the three theological virtues from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the greatest of these, but normally you cannot have love without faith. So faith is the most important for salvation, at least at the outset of the Christian life. And what did Father Lapide tell us overturns faith? Was it hatred? Was it sin? Those can, but what's the primary thing he pointed out today? Doubt. What caused doubt? It was fear. Ah, okay, so if fear causes doubt and doubt overturns faith... Now you can understand why in the Bible it says 365 times, be not afraid. 
See, we see we see this as an emotional encouragement, like, oh, I I feel really encouraged when I read "Be Not Afraid," and and you should. Emotions are a big part of our life. That's that's good, but more than emotions, this is a matter of salvation. Fear leads to doubt, and doubt destroys faith, and faith is necessary to get love because heaven is pure love. Heaven is pure charity. So if you live in fear, get this, if you live in fear, you'll never make it to heaven. Why? This is really important. It's true that faith is a natural emotion, so don't be afraid if you're afraid either. I'm not saying this to make you scrupulous or worried about fear. I don't want you to be fearful about fear, but because remember, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that fortitude is not having no fear, it's overcoming fear. But here, here's where Peter on the boat comes in. What overcomes fear? Faith. And how do you get that? We don't just mind will it, like, I, I think I want more faith. No, you spend time in silence. This is why I pointed to the etymology of that word, stability and quiet. You spend time in silence. Now do you see why silence is so necessary for your salvation? Because silence leads to meditation, and meditation leads to faith, and faith gets rid of doubt, and then that faith grows into supernatural charity, and that is the beginning of eternal beatitude, which is heaven, because that is charity. So you normally need silence and meditation to get to heaven. That's why I do this series. Please say an hour, Father, for me, that I may practice what I preach. At benedictio deum nepotentis, patris affidi, spiritus santi, descendet super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>